Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for your word and your message for us. Open our hearts and open our minds that we might hear and receive what you would have us take from this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder how many of you were sitting here listening to those lessons and thinking, wow, this certainly is a mixed bag this morning. (laughs) Well, it is. It is. I'm going to, to deal with two of the lessons. I want to deal with the contrast between the actions of the Israelites in Exodus and what happened at the woman in the well with her encounter with Jesus. In our Exodus passage, Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. We've heard this story before, and they were traveling for 40 years, but he had brought them out of Egypt. They had been slaves there, and he freed them. And he didn't do it on his own accord. He did it because that's what God commanded him to do. He was being obedient. Moses was their hero, right up until things started to go bad. Whenever things didn't go smoothly, the Israelites turned on him. In this case, they were upset because they had no water to drink. And because they tended towards the dramatic, they didn't say, hey, give us water. They said, did you bring us out here to kill us and our children and our livestock from thirst? In another one of these, they they said something uh, along the lines of, we would have been better off as slaves. What are you doing to us? It seems that they wanted to believe. They, They followed him out of Egypt after all. But when things started to not go as they expected, they did not have the faith to carry them through. They did not have the confidence that God would lead them to safety. And we can see that because every time something started to go wrong, they they became angry and threatening, and they demanded that they be taken care of. Moses went to the Lord and asked him what he should do with them. He said, I think I'm afraid they're going to stone me. What do I do? So Moses received very specific directions to take his staff, go to a rock, strike the rock, and the water would shoot up, take the elders with him. And he did that. And that solved their immediate problem for that day. But those scenarios played out over and over again. And they showed so little gratitude or humility in accepting the gifts and accepting the provisions that God had made. Our gospel lesson is entirely different. This is a story of a Samaritan woman and her interaction with Jesus. This woman has a history Some of it probably good, some of it not so good. Some of it maybe she would rather other people didn't know about. Maybe she's got some guilt, some regrets. 
Maybe not. She's got secrets. She's a woman with a past. If you were to read some texts that have been written about this passage, you would find that many times her past is pretty much summarized as she was promiscuous. What is the evidence of that? Well, she had five husbands and now she's with number six. There you go. That makes her an outcast to everybody. It makes her someone that's unclean, someone from the other side of the tracks, someone that they choose not to have to deal with. And by the way, that accounts for why she was there getting her water. It said in the sixth hour, the sixth hour is noon, the heat of the day. The regular people come first thing in the morning where they can get there and out when the weather's still tolerable. But that's why she was there by herself in the, in the hottest part of the day. But she was an outcast to everyone there except Jesus. But here's the thing, women of that era had very little choice or control over their lives. If she was divorced, it's because a man divorced her. And that was exclusively the man's right to do that. She didn't have the right to do that. That was the man's right to do that. And maybe these divorces were just, or maybe not. We don't know. But if, and if she's not divorced, perhaps she lost a husband or two or five through death. But either way, whether it's through divorce or whether she suffered through deaths of husbands, it's a tragedy for her life. So let's not be too quick to judge her because we don't know the details of her past. We don't know her. Maybe we don't need to. After all, we're all people with a past at some point people with a history. I don't know about you all, but there's some things that happened that I did when I was a teenager and in my 20s that thank goodness there was no internet working back then. <laughs> but in our own way, we're kind of all Samaritan women in this. But people with an unfortunate past often live in fear of being found out. And it's not just the fear of someone finding out, it's the fear of someone finding out the juicy tidbit without actually knowing you and drawing their own conclusions. We all thirst to be seen and known at a deeper level to be comfortable enough to be able to pour out our lives. But that comes with someone actually knowing us. And that is exactly what Jesus is asking this woman when he says, give me a drink. It was his invitation to her to let herself be known. This is tricky though. Because to be found out without being known leaves us vulnerable and thirsting for something more, 
something different. But we always seem to circle back to our defaults, circle back to that same old well. In a way, we all go down to some well. For the Samaritan woman, perhaps her well of comfort was in marriage. For others, maybe it's a well of perfectionism or a well of hiding and isolation. Others draw from a well of power and control. Too many drink from the wells of addiction and denial. We could each name the wells from which we drink, day after day and year after year. We go to the same well to drink. We arrive hoping our thirst will be quenched and we leave there just as thirsty as we were the day before. Of course, there is another well for us that we know of, and that's the well of Jesus Christ. This is the well from which new life and new possibilities spring forth, and it's the well that frees us from our old patterns and habits that keep us living as thirsty people. That's the well the Samaritan woman found when she encountered Jesus. She intended to go to the same old well she had gone to for years, the well that her ancestors and their flocks drank from, but today is different. Jesus holds before her two realities of her life, the reality of what is and the reality of what might be. He speaks of her past. You have had five husbands and you're now with number six and he's not your husband. He's not condemning her when he says that. He is stating fact. He is telling her what is. He tells her everything she's ever done. But it doesn't end there. Jesus is more interested in her future than her past. He wants to satisfy her thirst more than judge her pain and her history. Jesus knows her. He looks beyond that past and he sees a woman who is dying of thirst, a woman thirsting to be loved, to be accepted, to be forgiven, to be included. Her thirst is never going to be quenched by the external wells of our lives. And our thirst won't either. Jesus says so. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. This is the living water of new life, of new possibilities, and freedom from the past. This living water is Jesus' own life. It became in the Samaritan woman a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. It's not enough though to hear that story or even to believe her testimony until we come to the well of Christ's life within us, we will continue returning to the same old wells. We will continue to live thirsty 
and to live in fear of being found out. So I wonder, as we sit here today, what wells do you drink from? Have you thought about that? There is another well, one by which we are known and loved, and it's the well of Christ, of his presence in our lives, and of his love, and we are all called to come and drink deeply from that well. Friday and Saturday this week, Father Paul and I, along with some other representatives of Holy Cross, attended the diocesan convention, which is held in Bluffton, which as best as I can tell is somewhere south of Georgia because we just kept driving and driving. <laughs> it was a very long way, but a necessary evil. This was our first diocesan convention to be, fed, to be led by our new bishop, Chip Edgar. And I listened as our diocesan leaders said the litigation is almost completely wrapped up. There are just a couple few things hanging. They're clear, they know what they are, and we are definitely about done. And it's a new day beginning for the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina. We're breaking forth into a new stage of life and we're looking forward to getting back to doing the, the, the work that churches are called to do. I want you to know that I did not get any sense whatsoever of our leaders patting themselves on the back for any of that. They know it's a decade lost. That's not lost to anybody It was in that room. Yes, they're very pleased that the diocese is now at a place where we can begin to move forward, but they were humble and they were filled with gratitude that God has brought us to this place. And we were encouraged to keep our focus on God's will for us as we move forward from here. As I listened to all that, I couldn't help but compare it to what we're doing here at Holy Cross. The diocese has been surrounded by darkness and uncertainty for the past decade, and now their fog is beginning to lift. We at Holy Cross, we've been through many changes and uncertainties over the past year, including some key personnel changes, but now, during this Lenten season, we are pushing forward on two major initiatives. We're preparing to launch the Daniel Island campus as its own independent church, and we are actively going through the process to search for our new rector here at Sullivan's Island. Either of those by themselves is a daunting task. But here we are, after just having all these changes, we are going through these two processes together. It's not through what we're able to do. I hope you will look at this, at this time at Holy Cross, not only 
as a real challenge, which it is, but also as a gift from God, a gift that is to be accepted with humility and gratitude and grace. God is moving at Holy Cross and he has plans for us. It is up to us to honor that gift by asking God for his guidance and by listening carefully for what God is telling us about our future. We cannot do this by our own power. We must look to him. He knows our past, the good and the bad, and we must drink from his well in faith with thanksgiving. Near the end of the convention, Alan Runyon spoke. For those of you who don't know Alan, he is an attorney. He is a member of this diocese. Uh, he belongs to a church in Beaufort, right? And he is also a faithful Christian. And he was the lead attorney who from the very beginning has led us through this long decade of litigation. After his regular planned remarks, and he only had a few, Alan told us that the night before, Friday night, he had had a dream, a, a recurring dream, and it was persistent enough that he felt obligated to share it because that dream consisted simply of God repeatedly asking him one question over and over again. That question was, what will you do with the gift I have given you? That's an important question for our diocese and for us too. God is on the move here and he is preparing us for our future. What will we do with the gift that God has given us? We must ask ourselves that and pray about that as we move forward in this season. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for guiding us and accepting us as your children for all that we are, good and bad, for all that we've been and all that you will have us become. Lord, guide us, guide our thoughts and actions. And as we go through this Lenten season, Help us to reflect on you, reflect on Jesus and his life and his death for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen.